My goodness. It's the New and Better Podcast, episode 28. Here's the tease. What, what Jesus has accomplished for us is we are Adam and Eve again. We are guiltless before God. We are clothed in glory. We are clothed in the glory of Christ himself. We walk with God in the cool of the day without any sense of it that it's inappropriate for us to walk with and talk with him and fellowship with him. This has been gifted to us. And yet the enemy has been able to convince huge chunks of the body of Christ that we're waiting for something, that we're waiting for some big cataclysmic future event so that we can start pushing the enemy out, that we can start dispelling darkness with light. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital bouillabaisse. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too good to be true poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant, a better covenant based on better promises. So check your religion at the door, grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the new and better podcast. We've been looking at these different mysteries mysteries of uh, about Jesus, mysteries of the new covenant that were revealed through Paul. You know, it's interesting to think about, you know, Paul wrote all of his letters that constitute most of our New Testament in a little window of time from about AD 50 to AD 66 or 68. It's just a little 16, 18 year window of time. He wrote our New Testament. And we've, we know now enough about what was going on in that 40-year window. We've, we spent that long series talking about that 40-year window of time from the time of the day of Pentecost, after Je- 50 days after Jesus' death, resurrection, to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. It was this 40-year window of time, which was probably the season of the greatest spiritual warfare in the history of the world. That and the, and, and the years preceding the birth, right, leading right up to the birth of Jesus, his birth, the, the years of his ministry, and then that 40-year period of time were the greatest, was the greatest season of spiritual warfare in the history of planet Earth. Because, first of all, the enemy had spent 2,000 years trying to prevent that seed from coming into the earth. So it was all their warfare associated with the prevention of the seed coming, and then once the seed had come and was in the earth, there was the, all the warfare around him associated with trying to thwart him carrying out uh, his mission. And then what we see in this 40-year period of time is tremendous warfare to try to keep the, the, the people of the seed, the seed pod people, the Jewish people, from embracing the new covenant that belonged to them. It's a, tr- it's a time of tremendous warfare. And uh, Paul is writing in the midst of that, and we, 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 we see him wrestling. What, what Paul's basically doing in his letters is he's prophetically getting out the truth about the new covenant so that we could all have it. He's, he's prophetically encoding the new scriptures, the, 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 new, the scriptures of the new covenant, and prophetically declaring these things that Jesus had accomplished, that he had unique insight uh, into. And so the warfare around him 
while he's trying to get these mysteries revealed, these mysteries explained, was really, really tremendous. So where we're heading with this is once we have these mysteries, I'm not sure exactly, we could take a deep dive on every single one of them and go for weeks and weeks, but we're taking basically a very surface approach to get these mysteries out there. But once they're out there and we understand them, there's going to be something extremely powerful about renewing our minds to those mysteries. Uh, the ones we've seen over the last few weeks include the fact that Jesus was God in human flesh and that he was a perfect representation of God's character and nature. That he, that he explained God. He revealed him. He revealed the mystery of what God is like. We now know. He's like Jesus. What he valued, what he cares about, um, well, what he considered uh, an enemy, something that needed to be rolled back or destroyed. What God thinks about those things, we now know because we've seen it. We've seen it in him. We're going to look at another one tonight. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, so we'll start there. We're going to look at another one of these mysteries that Paul revealed, and this is a biggie. This one is really, really significant. And uh, again, it is one that we could spend a whole lot of time taking a deep dive on. But we're going to jump back up in this chapter a little bit, but I want you to scroll down first to verse 45. If we didn't have Paul, the truth that we're about to see would be completely unknown to us. Paul is the one who connects these dots for us. Uh, verse 45, I'm looking at it in the New American Standard. Then we'll jump over to the Passion here in just a moment. Uh, in the New American Standard, Paul says, So it is, uh, also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now that seems kind of cryptic and in typical, you know, the, I love the New American Standard because it's very literal. It is a literal, as much as possible, word for word translation. But what that means is that often it, it can feel it can feel a little clunky uh, the way in, in English. So let's jump over right quick into the Passion Translation and take a look at this same passage. Basically, what Paul, the mystery that Paul is revealing here is that Jesus was the last Adam. Je Jesus represents another Adam, in, in a sense. There was the first Adam, and through that first Adam, sin and death entered the world. And God fixed it by sending another Adam into the world. This is a mind-blowing revelation that Paul is bringing us here. Let's look at verse 45 in the, in the Passion Translation. It's highlighted here. For it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Here's, here's this contrast. Adam received life. You'll remember from the book of Genesis, God breathed into Adam 
the breath of life. And it says in Genesis, and, land, and man became a living soul when God breathed into him. So Adam received life, but the second Adam gave life. You remember when Jesus breathed on the disciples, you know, right, uh, after his res resurrection, uh, some people believe we've talked about the fact that that may have been the moment they actually got born again. They became spiritually alive when Jesus breathed on them. So the first Adam was dead dirt, had to receive life. The second Adam had life in him and became a life giving spirit. You see it? Yeah. However, the spiritual didn't come first. The natural precedes the spiritual. Paul's talking about heavenly order, divine order. And in divine order, the, you've got to have the natural before you have the spiritual, which is why you had to have the natural Adam before you could have the spiritual Adam. That's the proper order. The first man was from the dust of the earth. The second man is the Lord Jehovah from the realm of heaven. So Adam was dirt. Jesus, and that's where he came from. Adam came from dirt of the earth. Jesus came as God from heaven. The first one made from dust has a race of people just like him who are also made from dust. That's humanity. Mankind is the race of people who are just like Adam. The one sent from heaven has a race of heavenly people who are just like him. Who is that race of heavenly people who are just like him? It's us. We, we, we have become... A, a new a new creation if any man be in Christ mm -hmm. he is a new breed of being mm -hmm. he is he is a new thing that had not existed in the past and what it what what we've become is a new race of beings that are now just like just like him once we carried the likeness of the man of dust but now let us carry the likeness of the man of heaven so here Paul is essentially summarizing a lot of what he said up above it and by by in summation saying therefore there's this first Adam and through this first Adam death came into the world and here's this last Adam and through this last Adam life has come back and he actually says that this this entire passage and we've spent some time quite a bit of time in this passage in the past because in it Paul is dealing with the resurrection of the dead and first of all he deals with the reality of that the of, of the believers resurrection and of Christ's resurrection both and so that's the larger context of this entire passage is that Paul is talking about the fact that we we will be resurrected from the dead uh, someday that that's real and 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 our belief that the fact in the fact that Jesus conquered death in his resurrection is the key to believing that so if you back up in the, in the context of talking about that in verse 20, I'll, I'll just continue to read from the Passion. But the truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest of those who have died. For since death came through a man, Adam, it is fitting that the resurrection of the dead has also come through a man, Christ. Even as all uh, who are in Adam die, so also all who are in Christ will be made alive. But each one in his proper order, Christ the firstfruits, then those who belong to Christ in his presence. Then the final stage of completion comes when he will bring to an end every other rulership, authority, and power, and he will hand over his kingdom to Father God. Until then, he is destined to reign as king until all hostility has been subdued and placed under his feet.
and the last enemy to be subdued and eliminated is death itself. The Father has placed all things in subjection under the feet of Christ. So here again, Paul is basically saying that it's fitting that because death came into the world through one man, it's fitting that it had that life or the reversal of death, the undoing of death had to come in through a man. Now, Paul unpacks this from a slightly different angle over in Romans chapter five. So bounce over there. It is interesting in the passage that we just saw. It's, it's interesting to read it in the Passion Translation because we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about end times things in that it says repeatedly in the New Testament, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, he sat at the right hand of the Father and he's waiting there until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Here, Paul, in talking about the resurrection from the dead, he says that the last enemy to be defeated will be death. But he, he, Paul has Christ on the throne, and he says he's, he's there and he's continuing to reign until rulers and powers and principalities and authorities have basically been put in subjection to him. And that's part of what we're doing. That's part, that's part of the reason why child mortality uh, has plummeted over the last 30, 40 years, and prior to that, the, the last 100 uh, or so years, is that these things that are the enemies of Christ, sickness, disease, war, slavery, oppression, all of those things are being put in subjection. All of, those, all of the spiritual powers and principalities that are part of that are being put in subjection progressively, methodically, over time, and until such time as that when the, when the church is operating in su- sufficient dominion over those things and there's only one enemy left, and that enemy is death itself, Jesus returns and finishes death off by resurrecting every believer who's ever died. And those who are still alive at that moment haven't died yet, they'll, be, they'll, go, they'll go with them. But it's the last it's the last thing. It's the last piece of God's redemptive pattern, redemptive work that's been going on. So here in, in Romans, Paul is talking about uh, justification by faith. He's spending several chapters here trying to explain to people, how, helping them understand what the role of the law was f- for a season of time and, wh- and how now, there's under the new covenant, We've been reconciled with God. This whole pastor, um, passage here is talking about reconciliation with God and how Jesus made that possible. Then if you look at verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, this is, this is the New American Standard again, so this is going to make your eyes water because Paul wrote in Greek in long, compound, complex streams of thought, uh, streams of consciousness, sentences, and the New American Standards faithfully replicates that. So, um, but bear with me. Let's let's get through this. You'll see what it says literally, and then we'll we'll get an interpretation of it. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, who was the one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Let's stop stop right there for a second. So sin and death, or corruption, decay, comes into the world through Adam. 
And yet, in a sense, God is, God is not, there, there's no transgression when there is no rule to transgress. Hey, beloved, I've got uh, more good stuff up ahead for you. But first, a word from my sponsor, me. We call it page two. Is it possible that there's more to the Christmas story than we've been taught? What if this familiar story is filled with thrilling and life-changing insights that we've overlooked? Well, it is. I'm David Holland, and not long ago, I discovered a treasure trove of fresh inspiration in the Bible's Christmas narrative and the Old Testament prophecies that foresaw the birth of the Savior. And I recently poured all of it into a 31-day devotional called Christmas Grace. 31 meditations and declarations on the greatest gift ever given. No doubt you're intimately acquainted with the details of the Christmas narrative. But in this eye-opening new devotional, you'll discover meaning, wisdom, truth, and hope in these events that most believers have never seen. Get ready to discover overlooked insights from the Christmas narrative that help you rest in God's faithfulness, overcome adversity, embrace God's good promises, and most of all, fall deeper in love with Jesus. Christmas Grace is a 31-day journey into unwrapping the greatest gift ever given, Jesus, the one who is full of wonders. As you travel through these 31 encounters, through the holidays and right up into the new year, you'll find your appreciation for Jesus and all he came to accomplish for you growing day after day. Well, it's time to unwrap the greatest gift ever given. Christmas Grace in a beautiful, durable faux leather cover is available through your favorite online bookseller right now. Order your copy and one for a loved one today. Adam had a rule to transgress. Don't eat that tree. Don't eat from there. Of any other tree you in the garden, you can eat, but don't eat of that one. So there was a rule, a law to transgress. Everyone who came from Adam and flowed uh, out, out of him didn't have the don't eat the, that tree rule. There was, there was no law. So if there was no law, there was no law to transgress. And yet, death and corruption were still running rampant in the world. As a matter of fact, death and corruption, decay, was so running rampant in the world that it w was threatening to destroy all of mankind before God could get the seed into the world, the Redeemer which necessitated the flood and a reset, a reboot, a cleansing with a quasi-righteous family uh, in Noah's family, the closest thing to a righteous family you know, he could find, as a reset, just because there was so much death and corruption in the world, it was, it was overwhelming all of creation. All of creation was becoming corrupted by the corruption that had come into the world through Adam. So even though sin or transgression of the law, if what Paul is saying here, wasn't in effect until from Adam to Moses. Death was certainly having a time. Death and decay and destruction were, were running wild. So that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him to come. Okay, here's where Paul is, is saying that Adam is a type. Adam is a, is a pattern. He is a, he is a symbol of him who is to come. Who's the him who is to come? 
Jesus, the seed, the seed that had been promised to Eve, the seed that was crushed the head of the, enemy, uh, of the serpent, the seed that had been promised to Abraham, that through his seed, singular, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Adam is a type of the one who is to come, the seed, Jesus. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the transgression. So the transgression was bad. What, what, what Adam unleashed in the world was bad. We think it's probably, a, if you think about the, whatever it was that unleashed all of the, the hell and heartache and suffering into the world, it's difficult to think of anything that would be of greater magnitude than that. But what Paul's about to tell us is that there is something of great, that's greater magnitude than that. He says, but the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift, Jesus, righteousness through Jesus, is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from the one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. Stay with me. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So however awful that, unlit, that, that release of death and decay and corruption into the earth was, Jesus's release of life and righteousness is greater than that. So much so that those who receive it into themselves will reign in life through him. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 18, so then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. If they'll, if they'll choose it, the one thing Adam had in the garden was choice. The one thing he had w was, was the ability to choose. Um, and um, now all, all mankind was sentenced to death and, and corruption and decay through Adam's sin. Now through the one, the gift of righteousness was available to all who, who will choose it. Life to all men, that's verse 18. Verse 19, for as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Now, let me jump over to the Passion Translation. And everything that Paul just said, I think, will, will become a little clearer. Verse 12, when Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered human experience, and death was the result. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all humanity, because all have sinned. Sin was in the world before Moses gave the written law, but it was not charged against them where no law existed. Yet death reigned as king from Adam to Moses, even though they hadn't broken a command the way Adam had. The first man, Adam, was a picture. New American Standard said a type of the Messiah who was to come. Now, there's no comparison between Adam's transgression and the gracious gift that we experience. 
for the magnitude of the gift far outweighs the crime. It's true that many died because of one man's transgression, but how much greater will God's grace and his gracious gift of acceptance overflow to many because of what one man, Jesus, the Messiah, did for us? And this free-flowing gift imparts to us much more than what was given to us through the one who sinned. For because of one transgression, we are all facing a death sentence with a guilty verdict, a verdict of guilty. But this gracious gift leaves us free from our many failures and brings us into the perfect righteousness of God, acquitted with the words, not guilty. Death once held us in its grip, but by the blunder of one, and by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now how much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in life? enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus, the Messiah. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to us all. One man's disobedience opened the door for all humanity to become sinners. So also one man's obedience opened the door for many to be made perfectly right with God and acceptable to him. So then the law was introduced into God's plan to bring the reality of human sinfulness out of hiding. And yet, wherever sin increased, there was more than enough of God's grace to triumph all the more. And just as sin reigned through death, so also this sin-conquering grace will reign as king through righteousness, imparting eternal life through Jesus, our Lord and Messiah. There's a lot there, but Paul's revelation that Jesus served as a counterpoint, as, as at that, it, it's, it's instructive to go back to, to Genesis chapters one, two, and three, and just, and just re-familiarize yourself with, with what happened there. Because here God puts man and woman in the garden. They're sinless, shameless, <coughs> free, uh, abundantly provided for, and yet there is there is a there is a liar loose. Uh, there is there is a deceiver loose in that setting that in which God had placed them. He was an outlaw. He was a trespasser. He wasn't supposed to be there. If we go back to to Genesis one and two, what we find is God saying He, he created a garden. It was a, it was a place of earth was full of life. Uh, but it was wild, untamed, uncultivated, unkept life. But here God created a little cultivated space, a garden, a walled garden. And in it, he goes, okay, this is what earth cultivated looks like. This is what a cultivated space looks like. So here's your, here's your responsibility. Cultivate and keep this. Maintain what I've done here and expand it. Basically, this is what this is what cultivated and kept looked like, and th there's uh, there's implication in when when uh, in the Hebrew of, of what when God said keep it, cultivate it meant work it, prune, edge, trim, water, fertilize, whatever you need to do. But the keep has an implication of protect. There's there's this protecting role. Uh, in it. But basically, he said, be fruitful, multiply, 
This whole world, I give you dominion over it. Basically, this is, this is a legal and judicial moment where God is saying, I'm putting you in here and I'm giving you a dominion mandate. I'm, I'm legally, judicially giving you basically stewardship dominion over this entire planet, even though there's only one little space of it that is currently cultivated and kept. Adam's failure was not only was ultimately a failure, a keeping failure. It was a keeping failure to keep that tempter, that deceiver, out of his wife's ear. So there, there was this failure of keeping at that moment, which then led to temptation, which then led to deception, which then led to disobedience, which led to the unleashing of death and corruption and decay into the earth. But God had already given that dominion mandate. He'd already said, this planet, I'm legally, judicially, officially giving it to you. It, it belongs to you. And it is why Adam had the authority, had the, the, the power essentially to transfer somehow. Uh, Genesis isn't completely clear about this, but to somehow allow the enemy to become the proxy ruler of this world and was the ruler of this world up until the second Adam came, the last Adam. Jesus as the last Adam is essentially restoring everything that was lost in the fall. Adam had lost his basically his dominion rights over the earth. The enemies of God, the enemies of Christ, death, decay, corruption, oppression, slavery, all of those things uh, began running rampant. But what we see in Jesus, this is why we have underestimated, we have underappreciated the magnitude of Jesus's victory on the cross, the magnitude of what he accomplished in his death and resurrection and ascension to the throne is because what he did, and this is what Paul is trying to tell us, is, is basically he's reset the legal order that was in place right before Adam and Eve sinned. Right before Adam and Eve sinned, you had basically the ability to be shameless and innocent in God's presence with no sense of shame or unworthiness. You had been given dominion over the planet you had been given a task to expand the rule of God outside the borders of that walled garden until it encompassed the entire world by t uh, being fruitful and multiplying and taking dominion over the wild, untamed sp uh, spaces so that your cultivating and keeping mandate would continually grow and you would enjoy the presence of God. And yes, there would be an outlaw trespasser who could who if you allow him to will come in and walk around on the property that he has no right to walk around on and will whisper in your ear if you'll let him whisper in your ear and will deceive you if you'll let him deceive you but what Jesus did was reset the re, re, reset the authority reset the the status we've we've been waiting for something out in the future that Jesus has already done We've been, what, what Jesus has accomplished for us is we are Adam and Eve again. We are guiltless before God. We are clothed in glory.
We are clothed in the glory of Christ himself. We walk with God in the cool of the day without any sense of it that it's inappropriate for us to walk with and talk with him and fellowship with him. This has been gifted to us and it has been become uh, our mandate, the same mandate that God gave uh, Adam and Eve. Take dominion over this world, cultivate, keep, expand, Push back the barriers. You're carrying light. Wherever light goes, darkness is dispelled. Your salt and light. All of those things have been now given to us, and yet the enemy has been able to convince huge chunks of the body of Christ that we're waiting for something, that we're waiting for some big cataclysmic future event so that we can start pushing the enemy out, that we can start dispelling darkness with light. And it's, uh, it, it's been to the detriment of the advance of the cause of Christ in the earth that we've been convinced that we're waiting for something that we, when we, we're back. We're back. We're back in the garden because the second Adam, this is what Paul is telling us. This last Adam has restored what the first Adam forfeited and that work is complete. We'll see this in other aspects of Paul's revelation of the work of Christ, but it's huge. It's huge. And if we were to surgically remove all of Paul's letters out of particularly 1 Corinthians and, and Romans, this whole concept of the fact that Jesus was the last Adam, he was the undoer of what Adam had done, would not, would not necessarily present itself to us. So it's a big, big thing that we'll, uh, we'll explore with some greater, in greater detail later on. Okay, neighbor, before we bring this shindig to an end today, let's do page three. How about I share a little insight about how you can take a deeper dive into the veritable cornucopia of inspiring and illuminating things I have on offer for you. When you can, sashay on over to davidaholland.com. Make sure you get that A in the middle of the address there. At davidaholland.com, you'll find an astonishing variety of stuff that will help you live the sweet life. That's a life of rest and hope and meaning. Subscribe to this podcast right now, and until next time, please remember, God is better than you think, and you're more loved than you know.